Netflix wants to promote as fast as connection as possible. And, and so they've come to carriers like us and say, hey, would you peer with us? It, it cuts down on, you know, latency and jitter and all those bad things that nobody likes. Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. In July, we introduced you to Dave Spencer, Chief Operating Officer of NoaNet, the open access wholesale fiber network in the state of Washington. The network, owned by a coalition of municipalities, has operated since 2000 in both rural and metro areas. Well, that interview sparked your interest, and we asked Dave to come back to provide more details on the administrative side of NoaNet, who uses NoaNet, and what services NoaNet provides. Now, here are Chris and Dave Spencer talking about the network. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm talking again with Dave Spencer, the Chief Operating Officer of NoaNet in Washington State. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be back. It's really great to have you back. Uh, we're having you um, back so quickly because there is a lot of uh, interest in NOAA-NET, the uh, Northwest Open Access Network, and people wanted to know a little bit more in detail, so we're going to be diving into that. Uh, but maybe we could just start for those who are um, haven't gotten around to the, our previous discussion, and you can give us a thumbnail sketch of what NOAA-NET is. Sure. We're... Uh a municipal network in the state of Washington. We've got about 3,000 miles of network uh, all over the state, and predominantly we have uh, access in every county. Um, all the counties in the state have access to our network. And um, as a regional network, we uh, sell to a lot of different types of customers and serve a lot of different areas. Well, I think one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about is um, you're a municipal network, um, but you're also a creature of other municipalities. Um, in, in some cases, we know of communities that have formed nonprofits to work with other communities. But in the case of uh, NoahNet, you're not a nonprofit. I mean, you operate on a nonprofit basis, but you're actually a municipality in the eyes of the law. Uh, maybe you can tell us how that is. We're, we're formed by public utility districts, which are uh, locally controlled and uh, ratepayer-owned uh, nonprofits. And so when uh, they formed NOANET, they banded together using a law called the Interlocal Agreement uh, in Washington that allows uh, publics to join together to provide a, a service that benefits the, the various publics, and in this case, they uh, formed a non-profit mutual corporation. It's kind of a unique corporate structure in the state of Washington. But through the interlocal agreement, uh, no one at as a non-profit mutual corp can have authorities greater or lesser than the uh, public entities forming forming it. So as a result, um, any any opportunities or restrictions or any of that afforded to a public utility district are the same that are afforded to NOAA. 
And so one of those things is that um, when we talked originally, um, you know, you noted the benefits of when you were starting so long ago, um, you know, 15, <laughs> 15, 17 years ago. Um, yeah, 15 years ago. Right. You were, you know, there was a formative time for the web and, and you embraced open access because uh, you wanted to make sure that you were encouraging investment and not uh, perhaps inadvertently providing a disincentive for others to invest in areas where, where you were investing in as well. Um, but that also means the state law uh, requires you to operate on an open access basis uh, moving forward as well. That's correct. We felt that in rural areas that given the high cost of infrastructure, uh, especially uh, broadband infrastructure, you know, fiber optic builds, all of that, uh, very expensive, that if we were going to make that investment, that we would want to have it uh, open to all providers that wanted to come in and serve these rural communities. And as part of that, the state legislator passed a law that allowed the public utilities and NOAA to uh, serve broadband, but only on a wholesale basis. So you know, with, with that combination of, of state law and the um, open access by design, of the fiber optic network serving these rural areas, we've been able to grow the business from zero, obviously in 2000, up to uh, the business we have today in 2015. One of the things that we got questions about is who your customers are. And um, we've talked about the the schools, the anchor institutions, um, and uh, I know that you provide connections to uh, cell phone towers and things like that. Uh, But I was curious if you could go a little bit more in depth for some of the the variety of your customers. So as a wholesaler, we sell to companies that serve the end user. And the end user may be schools or uh, government entities or hospitals or residences for that matter. So we sell to those companies that provide that service. So if you think of the large um, telecommunications companies, uh, either competitive or uh, incumbent, uh, they're customers of ours. So those would be like Level 3 and CenturyLink and Charter and um, you know the frontier, maybe I don't. I know that a lot of times operators are loath to name their specific customers, but that's the kind of people, uh, the kind of companies I think you're talking about, right? Correct, correct. And and we're in that camp. We <laughs> treat uh, our customer names and, and with uh, uh, under non-disclosure agreements. Uh, and uh, but yes, those types of companies. Um, and, you know, you throw in the cable companies in there, you know, that, that need interconnection between their facilities. And, you know, we started as a, what was called back then, it was an inter-exchange carrier, meaning that we would transport traffic from one serving area to another to, to connect these telcos or cable companies together across their uh, various investments in the state. And would you typically do that over a, a dark fiber basis where each of your uh, customers would have their own fiber? Or would you be providing uh, lit services where you might be combining multiple uh, streams of traffic together over a single fiber? The latter. We uh, generally don't do dark fiber. Uh, we provide a lit service that can be segmented uh, for the, the various types of 
products and, and services that these customers want. So just to give you a feel for that, um, sometimes it's wavelength services. We run a uh, fiber optic network that has multiple wavelengths or channels, if you will, and it could be that the uh, customer wants a point A to point B, 10 gigabit wavelength. Okay. Uh, when we first got started, we had the state-of-the-art uh, Ethernet and Internet-based, Internet protocol-based network. But to, to get the first customers in the door, everything back then was the traditional telco traffic. It's called TDM, Time Division Multiplexing, and that, that's a service that goes from point A to P, point B at various capacities. And so we, we would sell those to interconnected properties. Then, you know, our product sets evolved to a uh, what's called Ethernet, and there's a carrier-based standard there that, that we adhere to that connects properties in a, in a dynamically allocable uh, capacity around the state. And then, of course, um, moving on up the stack, we, we get into the inter various Internet products, either the Internet itself or... Uh, protected private internet networks uh, along the lines of intranet for uh, connecting various sites around the state. Wow, that's a lot of um, technology that I think a number of our listeners will be really <laughs> excited about and some other listeners might be thinking, is it really that complicated? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but well, you know, and, and just even moving up the stack more, we we found that, you know, there's a lot of ways to move bits, right? But now the emphasis is on the uh, applications, uh, the bandwidth intensive applications that run. So uh, over the top of, of these services, we've rolled out uh, voice, uh, video, uh, security, surveillance, uh, virtual storage, virtual um, servers, you know, all of those sorts of products that are over the top of basic internet service. But how does that, how do you roll that out as a wholesaler, I guess, is what I'm a little confused about. We have both facilities-based and non-facilities-based customers. And, and when I say that, I mean uh, customers that have their own infrastructure, maybe their own fiber networks, but need us to connect those together, and uh, internet service providers that have no facilities that simply resell our service as a retailer. So for those customers, well, and really for, for both facilities and non-facility-based customers, they can buy the, the services from us and then package them up and, and resell them to their customers, either businesses, residences, that they can aggregate them, and you know they can sell them in a variety of ways. Sure. If I'm a if I'm an entrepreneur in Chelan, Washington, and and I'm mm-hmm. going to offer services, uh, fiber services, as a small company um, to residents and businesses in Chelan over the Chelan Fiber Network. I don't know if I can mm-hmm. say Chelan again, but I'm pretty sure I could figure yeah, out. Yeah, you're doing good, <laughs> Chelan. Um, <laughs> then am I am I contracting with Chelan for those services or am I going directly to you? Correct. You would be contracting with Chelan, although you may utilize Nonet in a couple ways. So uh, 
Chelan PD has invested um, tens of millions in a state-of-the-art fiber-to-the-home project, and they, they serve quite a bit of the county. Now, they are well, Not just that, but we, we can't let it get away without noting a lot of it's gigabit. I mean, they're really advanced. Yes, they are. It's, it's very impressive. And we interconnect to the Chelan network. So a uh, service provider, entrepreneur, can lease circuits from Chelan PED to go to the home or go to the businesses. And that, that serves them in, in the county. And then if they want to get out of the county, they can contact NOANET or other providers that serve the Chelan area and get back to, let's say, Seattle or Portland or, or some of the big Internet hubs to interconnect with other uh, maybe upstream Internet providers or video services. You know, maybe they're, they're uh, caching with Netflix, uh, something along those lines. So that, that's how it works, and it, and it could be, too, that no one that, uh, comes into the area because we've got a contract, let's say, to serve a cell tower, and that, that we would come in and, and lease circuits from Chelan ourselves and serve those towers that way and then sell our package service, if you will, to the sailor carriers. And one of the things that you mentioned was something that I had in the back of my mind, which is, do you do things like uh, caching to help all the, the customers that you have? Or is that something that they would arrange on their own for like an open connect service from Netflix to, to do that caching? We do that ourselves and pass it through. So peering, it's, it's probably peering is, is, is the industry term. Um, but it is caching video services locally. So, so you think about, um, when I say local, I mean within the state of Washington. So, for example, we, you know, and, and, and this is no secret, of uh, uh, all the Internet traffic Netflix consumes, you know, at least a third. It's streaming video is the, the killer app right now. And if you think about it, um, Netflix wants to, promote as fast as connection as possible. And, and so they've come to carriers like us um, that are aggregating across the whole state and say, hey, um, would you peer with us? In other words, we want to put servers in your facilities that hold our video content and then have you uh, distribute from there when, when a, uh, let's say, a residence hits play and start streaming a video that it comes from Seattle instead of coming from, let's say, Santa Clara. And it just it, it cuts down on, you know, latency and jitter and all those bad things um, that nobody likes. Right. <laughs> I would think... <laughs> And I would think that's the kind of thing that would actually be a, a win-win because, um, you know, you have to give up a little bit of rack space in, a, in an area where you have a lot of space dedicated just for that purpose. Um, so um, you have that, but then you don't have to pay all that cost of, of, of getting traffic, peering with another network, you know, where you may have to pay for transit. Um, and Netflix benefits from the, the features that you mentioned. Um, and so it seems like a win-win. Is there, am I missing anything for that? No, that's exactly right. You know, obviously the, uh, the peering works both ways. That's why they call it that. Uh, it's beneficial to Netflix and it's beneficial to knowing it. Just as you say, there, there's economic and 
uh, customer experience benefits on, on both sides of the equation. Right, because in peering, you get into this whole vocabulary that seems to shift based on who you're talking with because there's, I think most people use peering to mean settlement-free peering where there's just an exchange of traffic without any monetary exchange. Um, Correct. Whereas others might say we're exchanging traffic and but one side has to pay the other. Um, and that's what you want to avoid, I think, when you mainly you're paying someone else, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's correct. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's frankly a, a hot topic in, um, in play now. Of course, with net neutrality, um, they didn't uh, necessarily address um, how the parent agreements work. But for us, uh, we, we, we prefer the settlement-free route where uh, we can provide that service on our Internet and, you know, not have to worry about extra fees back and forth. That's where we've seen some arguments from some some large uh, residential suppliers that they feel like Netflix wanting to put equipment in their um, network is something that they should be able to charge Netflix a lot of money to do. Um, sure. You know, and uh, and that's something that I think you know you Noahnet could choose to do that, but you see the mutual benefits as being preferable. We do. We we have the understanding that Netflix is just part of the Internet, and the Internet's going to be used for more and more applications through time, the Internet of Things, uh, obviously streaming video, uh, you know, possibly the end of broadcast television, if, if, if you believe some people. And th- that's just more Internet. Well, you know, we'll, we'll make more. That, that's the product <laughs> we offer. Right. You're very happy to, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ramp up the bit factory. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about how the, the, the fee schedule works. Um, you know, you mentioned that you have a number of services that uh, uh, sometimes are called white label services, I think, where um, companies can provide your, um, you know, your home monitoring for uh, making sure you're not burglared. Um, I think it just may have invented a word. I don't know if that's a real word. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're a video product, you have a number of other products that are available for mm-hmm. resale. Um, are those typically yeah. a one-off? I mean, are they typically fees or is there a percentage um, how do you charge for them well that's interesting um, and, and it's a it's a dynamic model for us right now frankly we've been experimenting with a subscription program where instead of selling X capacity of bandwidth and then selling you know X number of phones and having uh, access control, meaning, you know, locking and unlocking doors remotely and and video surveillance for X number of devices and everything has a price, which is certainly one way to do it, and and we have done it that way, to what's called a subscription service where, depending on the number of employees, there's a fee per employee for the the types of services um, that are needed, and then we right-size the... Uh, internet connection to have the best possible customer experience. So, for example, uh, we, we've come into, uh, we, we've got a large state park that has uh, facility, conference facilities on it. So we, we provide them a connection, but also have, uh, provide the virtual desktop, the phones, uh, the Wi-Fi, all of that. So it's a complete uh, customer experience 
payments that they pay a subscription for, as opposed to just buying all a cart, a uh, hundred meg of internet or or uh, five death set phones or or what have you. So it, it's a work in progress, but we've we've got some traction on the subscription program, and and really it's just a, a bundle of various services that is priced based on the the number of people that are going to be utilizing the services. Um, is there anything else that, that you think we should cover on our our second <laughs> our follow up interview? Yeah. Any details we yeah, missed? There, there is one area, and you know, we we talked about the various products that move bits, and then the various you know over the top type applications. But no one that also provides network coordinated services, and this is the uh, set of services where we monitor. Uh, networks uh, 24/7. If there's problems, we you know log trouble tickets. We work on restoration. We coordinate with service providers, and we have a number of the PEDs that subscribe to that service. Um, in, in addition to that, the there's can be an engineering component to it, an outside plan, you know, design and, and build component to network coordinated services. So in a way, it's it's sort of a a broadband business in a box. You know, the the munis can come to us and say, "Hey, we don't we don't really know anything about running a broadband network, but we see our you know our municipality really needs it. What can you do?" And we can say, "Well, hey, we got this product. We're coordinated services. We come in and and manage it for you, and uh, for a fee, of course, and and interface with the uh, retail service providers." Right, I imagine that that's preferable to every public utility district, for instance, having uh, some person at 3.30 a.m. sitting in an office somewhere waiting in case something bad happens. <laughs> well, exactly. It, it brings depth and breadth to the mix. So if, if you're thinking about you know, a startup and you've got, you really don't have any business and you, and you maybe have an IT person that, that you want to bring into the fold, uh, you know, which is great, but you know, you're exactly right. At, at 3.30 a.m. and the network goes down and um, it's very technical, it's nice to have the the backup of a, a company that provides that 24-7. Great. Well, well, thank you for being available to come back on and to tell us more about uh, the details of how NOAA Networks. Hey, it's my pleasure, Chris. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at CommunityNets. If you use Facebook, search for the Community Broadband Networks page. Once again, we want to thank BKFM B-Side for their song, Raise Your Hands, Licensed Through Creative Commons. And thank you again for listening. <laughs>